Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. It is June 9th, Friday at 11.20 in the morning. The legislature is still in special session trying to decide what to do about education and related funding, and it's been a very busy week. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. I've been following it along with editor Tom Tobin. Good morning, Tom. Uh, Good morning, Jeff. Uh, You know, everybody in the country seems to be following the James Comey hearings this week, but we have plenty of drama going on right here in Florida with uh, a session, a special session that seems to be uh, a bit uh, combustible. And we had the release of school test scores this week. So it's, it's been a busy, it's been a busy week on the education front. Absolutely. It has. And I want to point out that today, as we're talking, as I mentioned, we have the legislature still in conversations about what to do with the education budget. It's been really interesting how they've been fighting over more higher education at some point and the vetoes that were put in place than they have in K-12, which they came to a fairly quick agreement over. But we're not going to talk about the details, which are still changing. And by the time you listen to this, probably have changed. We're going to talk about some of the other things that we've noticed as a result of all this conversation. And Tom, I thought you had some interesting takes on what we've been seeing because of the way that the education budget came down this year. You want to give your insights? Yeah. You know, it's just occurred to me that watching this whole thing unfold that uh, Florida, one, t- one big takeaway is that Florida is nowhere near in any kind of agreement about the role of charter schools in this state, not even within the Republican Party. It used to be, it seemed, that there was some agreement on the, the degree to which charter schools should be implemented in the state. Uh, now it's uh, you have uh, two segments of the Republican Party very far apart on that question. And what's more, it doesn't seem like there's any resolution inside about, uh, about that question. Do you get the same feel? Well, it, it seems like there is resolution in the sense that the people with the most votes are going to win. But they've been pushing hard for they've been pushing hard for Governor Scott to put a veto to the conforming bill, which House members pointed out very pointedly this morning is not part of the call for special session. House Bill 7069. Um, people are still trying to try to move the money to defund the charter school portion and also the um, best and brightest teacher bonus portion. They want to put some of that money into the traditional schools that have been struggling the most. Senator David Simmons, who we've had on this podcast and who has been an active and vocal member of of the Senate Appropriations Committee for all session long, has actually called upon the governor to veto the bill and to bring them back for another special session just dedicated to the idea of how do we put money into struggling students at struggling schools wherever they are and not give special treatment to the charter schools and then give short shrift, in his view, to the traditional schools that have been struggling for a long time. Now, the, the Speaker Corcoran has been saying that um, that the 7069 does have provisions to um, help uh, traditional struggling schools, that, it, that it's not an immediate um, 
uh, turn to charter schools. Uh, the, they won't immediately chase away a traditional school in, in a case of a struggling school. Uh, and, and so the, you, you still have that argument there about what the bill actually does and doesn't do. Right. Uh, I'm not going to try and get into all the nuances of everything, but Senator Simmons and and Speaker Corcoran don't agree on, on this issue. The votes have been pretty close. The Democrats have been very vocal. The superintendents have almost to a person spoken out against what has been done. But of course, they could be considered to have a vested interest because they run the public traditional schools. They don't run the charter schools, which are considered to be in competition with them. So something's going to have to give at some point, if not now, sometime in the future. Senator Broxson from up in the panhandle said that he was voting for the bill, knowing that he wanted to see some changes whether they come in a special session or when the legislature returns back in September. Either way, there's going to be a conversation because the role of charter schools combined with the role of the traditional schools and are they best suiting the needs of our students is, is predominant, is, is a huge question mark right now. So, Jeff, when the, when the superintendents and the school board associations raise uh, their doubts about charter schools and having them be involved this much, uh, is it a, is it more of a f- philosophical question or more of a financial question about money seeping away from uh, traditional public schools? It seems like it's a money question more than anything. I don't think there would have been as much of a complaint if the legislature had reinstituted the 0.5 mil tax rate on charter school capital, or I'm sorry, on public school capital improvement projects, and then give that money to the charter schools. What they've done instead is just to, say, take some of that capital tax revenue and give it to the charter schools without increasing the, the tax rate on it. School districts are already feeling pretty strapped, not being able to take some of their own maintenance, take care of some of their own maintenance and construction needs. And so they feel like they're being uh, robbed in a way because they all say that they, they support school choice and they support charter schools. They just want it to be on a level playing field and that's a question of what that level playing field is going to look like. The charter school proponents always will argue that they have less money and they have other things that they have to do to make their schools be successful. They close down if they're not successful, whereas the traditional schools that are not successful over a period of time don't close down. They just keep going. To a certain degree, you see some resignation already in some districts here in our area at Hillsborough County where you see uh, uh, some, uh, some serious growth among charter schools uh, the school board has said that uh, you know charter schools uh, can help us ease the ease the strains uh, of growth on our uh, on our county, and so the, and and you see different degrees of, of acceptance of charter schools in different places. Right, and so that's why it's a really interesting debate. There are there are a lot of things coming out of this discussion, regardless of the money point. It's, it's the philosophical issues that are coming forward that I think are going to take us over the long run. Because as some of the other people have pointed out, um, some of the more conservative school board members have pointed out, we're looking at basically a flat budget that's now being boosted with very few restrictions with the extra $215 million. And school districts are going to be able to live with that. Uh, sometimes they have to live within their means. And next year, we'll look again. I, I think that you were interested in that whole idea of, is the money going to the right place? And are we going to have to live with smaller budgets in the future? Do you want to talk a little bit more about that issue? 
Sure, I just, I just, I just think that's another takeaway from this session that is that we should, we should just get used to educational budgets, at least the traditional, you know, per student funding that uh, for traditional schools that that offer what many would call very minimal increases. I guess the first, uh, the, the the bill that came out of the regular session called for a 0.34 percent increase, and now there uh, looks like it seems to be reaching agreement on an increase that would be 1.4 percent, which many districts are are still saying is is not going to come close to meeting uh, inflationary pressures. Um, and my thought was, you know, if you can't do more than that, more than that 1.4% uh, in an economy like this, you know, we have we have low, low unemployment, robust housing market, um, pretty good stock market right now. The GDP in Florida is, is uh, was 3%, uh, an increase of 3% last year in, uh, in the state. That was fifth in the United States. So if if you can't see a healthier increase in uh, in this kind of environment, I I, I don't see it uh, increasing much in the future. I mean, and, and this seems to be uh, school districts going to have to get used to this. It seems to me they have been used to it from the times when things were bad. And the question is whether they can continue on what they consider to be bare bones budgets. But there's a huge argument again over whether we're funding students. Or systems. And if we're funding systems, that's where the school districts seem to come in line because they want to continue to do all their programs. They have buildings that are filled with people. They have programs that they need to pay for. And the vast majority of kids come to them. But there are kids out there who don't fit into that system or whose schools aren't working well for them. And the other side of the equation is, do we fund their education? Are we funding their education or are we funding the system of education? And that's a really interesting conversation, again, that will have to come up as we go forward. That's one of the huge takeaways I, I see here is that we have a big debate over systems versus students. Yeah, and I think the debate, too, continues to be the mantra is that, you know, it's you don't just throw money at it. At it. It's not how much money you spend. It's how you work. You work smarter and you won't need to spend all that much more money. I mean, here in, here in this week in... Um, in Hillsborough County, we had the our own the school district come out and say that they they are way overstaffed and there's a hiring freeze. Uh, com- Hillsborough County, compared to a much larger district in terms of students, Broward County has has uh, 1,500 more workers than Broward County, um, and so it, it, it's a it, there there seems to be room to uh, cut in these big systems and. That, uh, that we're going to have to take, a lot of districts are going to have to, to face that. The other interesting thing to me is that, like I said, the focus a lot was on higher education this time for the first time in a long time. K-12 has gotten the bulk of the attention, whether it's been testing or other related issues for several years, as everybody's been tweaking with the system, looking at teacher evaluations, contracts and the like. But this year, a lot of the conversation focused on the Senate's attention to higher education and making sure that our college and university system is better. And so maybe going forward, we'll see a little less attention paid to K-12 and a little more to higher education just as a, as a general flow of things because that's where kids are going. They need to come out. And I think somebody I heard them say this morning with, with a diploma in one hand and a job offer in the other. And if the school systems take them to a place that the universities aren't ready 
or aren't at the best, then then where really is Florida at the end of the day? That's right. And that, of course, has been the priority of uh, Senate President uh, Negron, uh, who uh, who put forward a quite a robust uh, higher education funding package. Uh, and we've talked about that on the podcast here. The, the, for me, the, one of the centerpieces of that is the, the uh, increase in the Bright Futures uh, scholarship, uh, which uh, will return to its former glory, offering uh, 100% uh, uh, tuition if that is uh, ultimately approved. So that's, that's, those are some of the highlights that I have seen. And Tom, do you have any others that you want to put forward before we jump into testing? No, I think uh, I think we've covered it. The, 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 once again, uh, this is an annual uh, rite of passage for uh, education journalists in Florida. The big the big data dump, and uh, I don't know, uh, Jeff. It, it seems it seems very impressive uh, and daunting every year when you finally get that. Uh, you look at that page the DOE puts out. It's like, wow, where do I start? There's so much to dig into. Yeah, it's not just one page. If it were, it would be so much easier. It's reams of databases. It's with several subject areas, several grade levels, school levels, testing results, as well as district and state level results. And we try and bore in on the key issues that we find. Of course, we tend to focus on the schools that have done poorly in the past because that's the way Florida seems to roll these days. The schools that do poorly are the ones that are on the line to lose their staff, lose their principal, lose their programs. Uh, you know, that's what a lot of what House Bill 7069 is all about. What happens to those schools and what kind of tr- turnaround programs can they have? So we saw a lot of those schools that have been performing poorly actually do better this year, which was really nice relief because it's nice to talk to a principal who says, I'm so excited to see my results as opposed to getting this sort of gloomy, yeah, I saw them. Which, which we've had for so many years. It was nice. And here in uh, Pinellas County, we have, uh, of course, the Times did a series a couple of years ago uh, called Failure Factories, where we identified five particularly struggling, struggling schools that were among the worst in, in the state, among the very bottom. And it was nice to see uh, some gains at those schools. Uh, Campbell Park Elementary saw some nice gains in uh, reading and math. Um, Maximo Elementary seems to be on a nice steady pace, not huge gains, but increases now uh, in successive years. Um, Melrose Elementary, which was uh, particularly uh, in, a, in a particular bad place, um, uh, saw some nice increases. Um, and so uh, some other schools, not, not quite so well, but you could see that the district, uh, the Pinellas School District is, is paying attention to this issue and uh, that it's having some, some early results. Other results that we saw that were pretty impressive, although still need some work, are in the area of algebra, where the test is required, algebra one, as a graduation requirement, or, you know, there are some alternative tests, but that's the main one. And middle school kids who take it, starting as early as sixth, sometimes at mostly seventh and eighth grade, usually knock it out of the park because they're the advanced students who tend to do well on math. That's why they're taking it early. But for the students who take it in high school, the passing rates have been low, but they showed major gains this year, six points on that Algebra 1 statewide, but it's still below 50%. That, that's the downside of it, but it's, but it's much better than it was before. And if you look within that, we see that it's, it depends on who you are and where you are. The 12th graders who are taking it for the first time, those are ones who come in from outside the state. 
and just have to pass the requirement. They do much better than the 12th graders who are taking it for maybe the fourth time and just have struggled and struggled. They have like a 10% passing rate or so. And so um, they need that to graduate. Some of them were not able to graduate because of their test result, but but we're seeing some gains there. The Algebra 2 test, which is the tougher test on the second level of algebra course, um, it's been one of the lowest passage rates of any test in the state of Florida. And this year it had nine point improvement in, in passage rate. And I talked to some experts in the field of math testing and math instruction, and they say that basically they've had time to understand how the standards fit into the curriculum, how the curriculum fits with the types of questions that are being asked. They fixed their lessons. They've fixed their focus. They're not teaching to the test. They stress that, but they are teaching the standards and they say the test then deals with itself. So that's some good news. All right. It, yeah, it's good news and it doesn't happen by accident. So, you know, some of the uh, the uh, struggling schools we talked to uh, on the subject of Eng, uh, langu- English language arts and math uh, said that they had uh, they had uh, uh, tweaked their uh, methods and strategies as well, and that led to some of the improvements. So, um, it, like I said, it doesn't happen by accident. And hopefully it will continue into next year. Because I would love, again, to be writing about some of these schools coming off of the watch list as opposed to them failing to make any gains or falling backwards again. Just because it's hard to go into those schools and see sad faces over and over again knowing how hard they work. Well, uh, Superintendent Mike Grego here in Pinellas County actually made the statement that he, he foresees a time when there won't be any, any more schools, at least in Pinellas, on uh, that watch list. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if that happens. We'll definitely be holding him to that one. So now, Tom, is the time where we notice small little education matters that maybe have escaped attention, especially in the role of test scores and legislative special sessions. Do you have anything that caught your eye this week? Yeah, it's actually a a school uh, that we didn't mention during the test scores uh, conversation. It's High Point Elementary. Um, which uh, saw it's in the middle portion of the county in Pinellas, and uh, it saw the largest growth uh, of any of the uh, schools in what's called the transformation zone here in the county. Um, we're talking about uh, the fifth grade English language arts uh, results, and the uh, they they increased from 34 percent to 40 percent passing in third grade. Um, 25% to 43% in fourth grade, and 16% to 30% in fifth grade. So those are some pretty huge increases. Uh, this is a school we've written about. It's uh, where the, they have a large English language, language learner population uh, that is uh, in, uh, in pre-testing had outperformed some of the kids who were um, in other schools who had been speaking English all their lives. Uh, so something's good, something good is happening at that school. How about you, Jeff? What did you notice this week? Mine was just a tiny little thing that popped up across the um, the transom. The school board attorney in Pasco County sent an email to school board members after school had let out, after teachers had basically ended their year, reminding the reminding the staffs about the importance of controlling political messages and how they're delivered on school campuses, which is really not at all. The thing that was interesting to me was that it came out when everybody was gone. But when I asked the school board attorney about that, he he said, really, we have school board races starting up. There are a lot of education issues that are really important to a lot of people out there that we've been talking about, all all these podcasts. 
And uh, he just wanted to make sure when he had the captive audience of people who are in charge of controlling the way that schools are run, that they understand the rules before everything starts getting crazy. Pasco has been the site of some pretty intense political issues in the past. In 2012, for instance, they had Mitt Romney who rented out Land Lakes High School facilities to have a big rally before his presidential during his presidential campaign and it caused a big stir among people who thought that you know the school district appeared to be supporting a presidential candidate and they've had things going back and forth all the time and so I just thought it was kind of interesting that at a time when nobody's really paying attention to those things because it's off season they're just trying to get prepared ahead of time and make sure that politics doesn't infuse the kids education in a way that it's not supposed to it's always good to send out that reminder. You always have new people cycling through, people who haven't been part of the political process before, people who haven't been part of the school system before. Uh, so it's always uh, it's probably a, a very wise thing to do, even uh, though we're, we're way ahead of the game. Well, I know that politics is going to keep us con- in conversation for a long time to come. Um, I hope that if you all, our listeners, want to participate in any of these conversations with us, you visit us on our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. You can keep up with all of our breaking news on our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. I'm reporter Jeff Solichek. And I'm editor Tom Tobin. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.